So we came up with the very aggressive business plan. What kind of product we're going to build? Sort of research about each local market in Southeast Asia. But we, you know, always come up with, you know, product development strategy. I think that is very important. For example, recently, from investor point of view, they really care about profitability. Two years ago, nobody cared about profitability from the investor point of view, especially for the startup or a growing company like us. Hi, I'm Amanda Kua, and this is One More Scoop. Here, we're sitting down with Southeast Asia's top founders, executives, and investors to have honest conversations about their personal journeys and find out what really happens behind the scenes. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for joining us today. It is a really exciting day for the podcast because this is our first ever chat with the founder of a publicly listed company. Today, I'm speaking with Koska Sogo. He's the co-founder and CEO of AnyMind Group, which was listed on the Tokyo Stock Exchange earlier this year. If you don't know already, AnyMind Group was founded in 2016 and is a tech company for the business supply chain that offers software and solutions for end-to-end commerce enablement. They provide two broad offerings for brands and businesses, publishers, and influencers called Brand Commerce and Partner Growth. And before AnyMind Group, Koske was actually the managing director APAC for MicroAd Inc. and the youngest ever director for the company. In his early 20s, he was already launching their offices in Asia, but I'll save the story for the podcast. Enjoy listening and thanks for joining us today. Hi, Koske. So nice to meet you. I feel like I've heard so much about AnyMind and you from Chris. So it's nice to finally meet both of you for a little bit today. I really like to get to know you. I feel like I've seen a lot of what AnyMind has done through the news, but I guess a little bit more about you. That's not something I have gotten to see so much of. So I'm excited for today. Oh, thank you so much for having us today. So the first question I usually ask all my guests is, what kind of childhood did you have? So what was your childhood like? Oh, it's an interesting question. So I guess, you know, when I was child, so that, you know, I can do anything because my parents kind of encouraged me to do whatever I want to do. So I do a lot of sports actually, such as like a baseball, basketball, swimming, karate, which is sort of, you know, kickboxing. So I did so many sports and my parents always say that encourage me to, Hey, Kosuke, so you are very talented. You can do anything. So I just followed that sort of advice. So. I was, you know, probably a bit confident <laughs> about doing anything. That is, you know, but I guess this was very good for me because even as an entrepreneur, founder, I always, oh, we can do that. So the sort of mindset, I, I guess, recall, you know, my parents kind of told me a lot. Why do you think they had that kind of mindset where they let you do anything or you, you can, or encourage you constantly to, do anything that you wanted to do and that you could be capable. Yeah, I guess, you know, both of the kind of parents, I mean, 
my grandfather were kind of entrepreneur. I mean, they they are entrepreneur. They are running their own business. So I guess like uh, when they were kind of child as well uh, from their parents. So they have a probably similar kind of education or similar advices from their parents. That is why I guess you know I had a similar you know advices from my parent too. And when you were growing up, you said you were very, very into sports. So what kind of uh, child were you at school? Were you somebody who only liked sports, didn't like to study, or were you good at everything? Oh, I guess recall, uh, I do pretty much, you know, everything's good, uh, better than probably other students. I don't know why, but, you know, I'm very kind of flexible. I mean, you know, I have a probably, I had a lot of capability to do anything. Yeah. And then when you were um, in school, I guess towards the end of your high school, what did you have in mind for yourself? Did you have a set career in mind or were you more open-ended and thought, you know, I will just figure it out later? <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, when I was a high school student, so uh, because in Japan, uh, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs are very successful in the tech IT industry. Probably you had about Rakuten, SoftBank, those sort of company are kind of were booming uh, in the Japan market. And uh, obviously, uh, the those entrepreneurs were still young at that time. And I got the in- inspiration from them a lot. So that time, so I really wanted to become entrepreneur like, like them, like some Masayoshi or Mikitani-san. Uh, he's the CEO of Rakuten. Then, you know, IT industry is quite unique compared to other sort of industry because even like, uh, you are still young, you can, you know, uh, have a chance to be successful. So there are so much opportunities. I really wanted to kind of become the tech entrepreneur in the future. So was, I guess, were you interested in them because you saw them on the news or did you get to meet them? Or was it something that everybody sort of knew about in school, like all of these more famous tech entrepreneurs from Japan? Yeah, because a lot of media talk about this, uh, you know, at that time. So, uh, you know, whenever I watch TV or news, so they have so many kind of, you know, information about tech, you know, entrepreneurs. That is how I got inspired from, from them. And why did you want to be like them? Is it because you always wanted to be an entrepreneur before? Or is it something else? Oh, because like, uh, you know, like I said, both of my grandfather were also like an entrepreneur. They are running uh, the sort of a construction kind of business in my hometown. But I realized that, you know, yeah, of course, you know, you, uh, I, I respect both of my grandfather. So I really wanted to become an entrepreneur. But, you know, uh, if we look at the kind of industry opportunities, I feel that, you know, IT industry had more room to grow and more opportunity for younger generation. So you talked about your hometown. Uh, where did you grow up in Japan? Was it Tokyo or was it somewhere else? Oh, I was growing up in my hometown, uh, which is very countryside, uh, nearby Osaka, called like, uh, Kagawa. Anyway, that hometown has a, you know, kind of soul food, uh, which is a sanuki udon. Probably you heard about that. So, and I, 
you know, I moved to uh, Tokyo to enter to the university when I was 18 years old. So when you're graduating from high school and planning to get into university, did you want to study in Tokyo? Was that the goal? Oh, yes. Because there yeah, are a bunch of you know, opportunities in Tokyo, right? And also I got those entrepreneurs also based in Tokyo. So most of the tech company have a headquarter in Tokyo. So I just want to you know, move to Tokyo to get to know more what's going on in the industry but i don't have any sort of uh, experiences before so that is why i decided to study in the university and what did you study in university was it um, business or something else yeah business management so the sort of things because all like i said i really wanted to become entrepreneur so naturally i choose that uh yeah uh subject and what was your experience like uh, moving to Tokyo and going to university there? Um, did you end up doing many internships? Did you lead a very yeah. fun college life? <laughs> oh, yeah, I did so many internships, actually, in the, uh, you know, some sort of tech companies. So I joined the uh, one of their, you know, mobile app developer. Uh, because back in like uh, 2009 or 2008, iPhone, you know, was getting popular in Japan market and a lot of tech entrepreneurs start developing, you know, app, you know, kind of a mobile application, especially for iOS, like uh, iPhone, because, you know, in Japan, uh, you know, iPhone dominates our market share. So that idea well, used to be very, you know, hot. So I decided to join the mobile app developer as an internship. Yeah. And what did you do in your internship? Were you um, coding the mobile app? Were you doing something else? Oh, I did sort of sales and marketing. So I, you know, that mobile application, uh, you know, doing sort of a location-based SNS. Probably you had about Foursquare. It's kind of a Japanese version of Foursquare. So we reach out to, you know, as a sales marketing, we need to reach out to a lot of retail store to sort of advertise on our mobile application. And what was that experience in that internship like for you? Was it um, fun? Did it make you more interested in the industry, less interested in the industry? Yeah, I had a very good experience because I report to CEO directly because that is very small startup. So I run a lot of things from the CEO of that company. So he shared how to do the business development, how to you know engage with user more and more how to, you know, do sort of a business development with the retail store as well. So I could get a lot of insight from him. And then when you were already graduating from university, what did you have in mind? Did you want to start a business immediately? Did you want to get experience first? Yeah, I had two options to start my own business or I joined the, you know, kind of a tech company in Japan. You know, I didn't have enough confidence about starting my own business so that is why i decided to join the one of the um you know uh, uh biggest it company called like a cyber agent and uh, i 
you know, I'm the one who set up the subsidiary uh, for that company in Southeast Asia. And why did you feel like you weren't confident enough to, I guess, start your own company, having like grown up thinking, you know, I can do this, I can do that. <laughs> yeah. So because, you know, tech industry has so many kind of, I mean, so many areas, right? Because if you do sort of B2C business or B2B business, it's totally different story. So when I was internship in the mobile application, uh, like a mobile app developer, that business is doing sort of a B2C business. But, you know, I realized that B2B business has also some room to, you know, grow. I mean, I, I prefer doing sort of B2B business. That is why I decided to join the kind of a IT company that doing like a B2B business. And then was MicroAd your first job or was that after Cyber Agent? Oh, Cyber Agent is a parent company of MicroAd. So, and I, I, I you know, assigned to like a, you know, MicroAd. So when I heard about Japanese companies is when you apply, you can't apply for that, say, one function. You can't say, like, I just want to be marketing or I just want to be HR. I think they move you around. Was that the same case for you? Oh, no. So I because I, I joined the that company as a sales, you know, business development, then I quickly had a good, you know, kind of a, luckily I had a, a very good performance. I become the number one sales in that company. And they offer me to set up the entity new subsidiary in Southeast Asia, such as like Vietnam, Indonesia, Philippines as well. Then I, you know, naturally uh, quickly got promotion uh, from the uh, just like a business development executive. Oh, that's cool. So you got to focus on, I guess, your strengths like sales and business development, and you didn't have to move around. Instead, yeah, you could just move need, up. Yeah. So, what was your experience like? Well, launching the offices in Southeast Asia, because I think back oh, then that, maybe yeah. you were only a few years into your first job, right? Yeah, that's right. So I joined that company in 2010 as new grads. Then two years later, I moved to Vietnam to set up the subsidiary for that company as a CEO. That that is uh, that was very good experiences to me because I could run you know, a lot of things about business development and management. I'm the one who need to set up the entity, the one who need to manage financial department, finance department as well. So, yeah, I, I could do, uh, you know, a lot of uh, things as a CEO of subsidiary. So that kind of uh, made me feel, oh, I'm super confident that I can, you know, start on my own, own companies. Yeah. How did you end up doing that at like 24, 25, like setting up the entity, moving to an entirely new country? Were you confident at the time or were you uh, nervous? I'm a super optimistic person. So I feel that because there are not a lot of competitors in Southeast Asia at that time, because still tech industry, you know, is new, right? And, uh, you know, uh, I'm very uh, excited to bring something new innovation to the Southeast Asia. Even when I was still young, so I feel that, oh, I can, you know, bring something valuable to Southeast Asia. I was very excited. You know, I was not that nervous about that. 
And what was it like when you first moved to Vietnam to set everything up? What did it look like? Could you give us like a few stories of when you were setting the business up? Yeah, first of all, I feel that I felt that I need to know a lot of things about Vietnamese market. That is very important. So I met a lot of founder of the similar, you know, uh, companies, and also I met the, you know, uh, a lot of uh, so many type of people as well to get uh, to learn something about Vietnam market. So I was super proactive. So I. When I moved to Vietnam, I had a kind of at least, you know, seven to eight meetings every day before I start setting up the entity because that makes us have, you know, makes me have more clear visibility about Vietnam markets. And then what was it like, I guess, subsequently launch all the other entities in like Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines, etc.? Yeah, so luckily we have very successful in Vietnam market and the headquarters asked me to set up the other entities in Southeast Asia as well. And there are a bunch of opportunities in Southeast Asia. Then I already had a good case study in Vietnam. So I duplicate same strategy, same initiative to other sort of market in Southeast Asia. And the idea is that even, you know, I'm from Japan, so they don't care about, I mean, people here in Southeast Asia, they don't care about nationalities. So uh, I, I, I was quite lucky. So I had a, you know, good team in Southeast Asia in each local market. Then uh, I could say we grew the business quickly and uh, yeah, we had a good business progress at that time. And what was it like personally to, I guess, move yourself entirely to Southeast Asia and maybe sort of restart your life in the region? Oh, yeah. So I, I did it up Southeast Asia, though. So, you know, when oh, once uh, since I moved to Vietnam back in 2012, I feel that I, I really want to commit to, to, you know, this Southeast Asia market. That is why I still based in Singapore. I spent a lot of time in Thailand as well. I spent a lot of time in Jakarta, Indonesia, because I feel there are a bunch of opportunities, especially for the tech business, even compared to the Japanese market. And was it difficult maybe to overcome any language barriers when you're getting started, or was it actually not as difficult? Oh, I had a language barrier, of course, in, in, in Southeast Asia, because, because I'm not native English speaker, and they are not native English speaker. Obviously, like a Filipino, everybody speaks English, but, you know, for example, Vietnam, Thailand, or Indonesia, uh, you know, not, not everybody speaks English, right? So, first of all, it's very important for us to find out the very talented people who speak English. That is one of the things uh, I need to overcome. And also, like, uh, culturally, uh, we are totally different, right? So, for example, in Japan, so everybody super, super serious about, you know, the business, right? So people work super hard. But that sort of mindset is quite, you know, um, different compared to, you know, other sort of countries in Southeast Asia, right? But I believe that, you know, it's kind of important for us to hire somebody who has strong mindset, work very hard 
in order to grow themselves. It really depends on people. So uh, we focus on hiring the someone who has the same, same mindset. And then, so you left uh, MicroAd in, I think that was like early 2016, and then shortly started AnyMind Group. Could you give us a look into how you started AnyMind Group? Did you um, already plan to leave the company and then start your own business? Did the idea come up all of a sudden? Oh, I had a, that dream uh, since I was a child, like I said. So I always communicate with uh, my boss uh, from headquarters. The, you know, I, I, I keep asking them, oh, I really want to start my own business. But, you know, obviously, I did a very good job as a CEO of Southeast Asia. So they really want to, wanted to retain me. But, you know, uh, because uh, all of the entity uh, that I manage, you know, they had a significant growth and they already reached out to the that those entities already reach out to the break even. So I feel that I already have done good contribution to that company. Then I decided to, you know, start my own business back in 2016. So when you left the company, did you already have a business idea in mind or were you already working on a business or did you leave first before starting to do anything? Uh, I already, you know, I always ha- come up with some sort of business idea. So back in 2016, so I realized that, you know, kind of a social media influence and marketing is kind of start booming. But I realized that there are not a lot of, you know, tech company that provide a sort of a matching platform between like a brand and the influences. And uh, finding the right influencer is quite quite difficult, quite challenging for the you know brand. I had a tech you know background as well, so I decided to you know build the sort of a, uh, technology that enable brand to find out the right influences through the platform. I remember I watched a video where your co-founder and CCO mentioned that he was doing some presentation and then you were like smiling and nodding at what he was sharing. Where did you meet your co-founder? Oh, I met him in Vietnam when I started, you know, the uh, subsidiary for the previous company back in 2012. And he uh, was working for different company. But also, he had a similar position. He He's the one who set up the entity subsidiary for his company as a CEO of Vietnam office. And we had a quite similar experiences. And we always exchange uh, sort of information. So what sort of obstacle we are facing. And uh, yeah, we try to fix those sort of things together as a business partner. And I feel that, oh, um, you know, he has the same mindset. He has also clear vision about Southeast Then we discussed, then we decided to, you know, start our own company together in okay. Shinko. So you already knew each other for a while before you started the company together. Yeah, that's right. And so when you started the company, what were the early days like? What were like the first six months like? 
Oh, so we were super excited <laughs> about growing the business. So we came up with the very aggressive business plan. What kind of product we're going to build for the next six months and what kind of a market we try to expand. So since we, since the foundation of the company, we have been expanding our business into a lot of market. For the past six months, we have expanded our business into uh, Thailand, Indonesia, Vietnam, from Singapore. That brand we already built since day one. So probably that is quite unique compared to other sort of startup, even in Southeast Asia, because both of us had a you know a lot of experiences not only in Vietnam, but in entire Southeast Asia. So we believe that you know having like a presence in Southeast Asia, I mean, uh, having the entity in each local market, each major local market in Southeast Asia, such as uh, Vietnam, Indonesia. Uh, Philippines, and so on. Uh, that is quite important for us to reach out to our potential client. Potential client means that because we really focus on working with big enterprise customers. Um, so normally those big enterprise clients uh, manage entire Southeast Asia business. So uh, in order to work with those big clients, yeah, it's necessary for us to, uh, you know, set up the entity in each major local market in Southeast Asia. Right, it's um very different and very different from a lot of the guests that I've had on the podcast. You launched a product and expanded to multiple markets. I think in the first one year already, right? Yeah, so that is totally different, right? But you know, uh, because our product development and the business kind of a model development. So we really focus on global market. Not we don't specifically, you know, develop the product for only one market. That is sort of different approach, right? So we we had a you know, of course, you know, detailed sort of research about each local market in Southeast Asia, but we you know always come up with you know product development strategy. How we can build the platform or software, which that can, you know, that can probably contribute to the entire Southeast Asia region, not only to specific one country. So that, uh, you know, expanding our business into other sort of market is not that challenging for us because our tech team business, you know, kind of be uh, model development team, you know, focus on uh, entire global market. But so we realize that, yeah, we realize that having like a local entity is important to localize our sales and marketing activities. Yeah, so it we was have global from day one, and then you would have the entities in each market, even in that first year. Is that what you're saying? Oh yes, that's right. So for the global. Model. So, in terms of product development and the business model development, so we really, you know, focus on the global market. It's a global team, but sales and marketing, we need to have local, uh, very strong team. So that is how we gonna make the good balance, uh, between like a global team, regional team, as well as local team. 
How long did it take to develop the product and start launching it? Did it take a couple of months? Did you get customer yeah. support was launched? Yeah, uh, obviously it's depending on the product. But initial, you know, kind of we uh for, from there to launch the beta version, uh, usually it takes uh, you know kind of three to six months. But after launch the product as well, we have to keep adding a lot of new features, new function as well. Uh, product development never end right in this market. Well, since you were scaling up so quickly in even just one year, how did you manage that personally as a CEO? Like, how do you manage to scale yourself as a CEO to be able to manage a global team for a new product, for new customers, for a new startup, all in just um, one year? Uh, I believe that it's super important for us to, you know, hire, um, find out the local strong leader, like a management in each local market. Because, like I said, even we talk about uh, Southeast Asia, each country had a totally different situation, different culture as well, different language as well. So having local management team is very important. So I always, you know, uh, back in that time, so uh, I spent a lot of time to find out the right, appropriate uh, local member in each local market and luckily i had a strong country manager in each local market who i i you know 100 percent rely on so that is how we manage you know uh, our global team and maybe this question also applies to your time um, in your company before any mine but when you're looking into a market where you're not a native speaker you did grow up there and maybe don't have a lot of pre-existing networks how do you identify um, the right talent and how do you find them? Because maybe the definition of the right person for each market might be different. And if you don't have yeah. existing network um, in, the com- yeah. in the country, how do you know um, how to find these people in the first place? So uh, first of all, I joined a lot of events in the each local market in order to build sort of a network uh, with uh, some kind of well-known people in the industry, right? When you, you join sort of a marketing event or e-commerce event, obviously the speaker, uh, you know, those speakers are very well, well known, right? And also they have a very good track record. So that's why they become sort of a speaker. So I try to engage with, uh, you know, people who participate in the market, um, you know, event initially. And that is how I build the kind of relationship with uh, some key people in the industry. That is, uh, you know, one way to build sort of a relationship with uh, key people in the industry. And at the same time, so we always look for the sort of uh, Monday opportunities. And we hire, uh, we acquire, you know, a couple, you know, a lot of companies in Asia Pacific. The reason why, because we believe that the founder of those sort of company have a very good uh, management capabilities. And I really want them to part of our management team in any mind because they already manage, you know, local business in certain market, right? And they already have a track record as well. 
Uh, if we have a good chemistry between our management and their management, so we can combine the management team and uh, then how we, you know, kind of uh, uh, enhance our kind of a management team in each market. That's an interesting point. You guys have acquired a lot of companies in the many years you've been um, running. How do you identify the right company to acquire? Is it more on the kind of people inside? Is it more on the business? Or I don't know if you have like some kind of formula in your head. First of all, kind of sourcing is very important, right? Because, you know, let's say uh, we, we acquire one company called the DDI. They are doing e-commerce enablement business in Indonesia. So back in that, um, so there are kind of a shopping list, and uh, we list up, you know, more than 100 companies in Indonesia, and uh, we identified that, you know, tier A or tier 2, or you know, we, we're going to do sort of a priority setting, which company we have to meet up. Then we try to get an appointment with, you know, those sort of companies. And uh, since the past interview, I'm the one who joined the call. So, because, you know, obviously, like, uh, from their side, the founder uh, joined the meeting as well. So we discuss how we can grow together. We, uh, we, I, I also share, uh, we also share all the capability that any mind have. Basically, any mine has a very strong tech capabilities compared to the local company in the similar industry. So I always discuss with the uh, founder how we can make the strong synergy in order to dominate the market in, let's say, in Indonesia. Then we can understand what that company wants to do, uh, whether they have a very strong vision or strong, you know, higher target or not. Because as any man, we always focus on the growth. We always want to become the number one in the industry. So I think it's very important to identify whether they also have similar mindset or similar vision. That sort of alignment is very important. In order to get to know more each other, uh, we you know, not only like having serious meeting or, you know, we always invite to go out for drinkings or dinner through those, you know, kind of a dinner or drinkings. Uh, we, we can easily understand the personality as well of the founder. And if we feel or we have a kind of a good chemistry, then we start doing sort of a do jelly dance. That is how you know, we proceed, proceed by Monday, basically. How long does it usually take from, I guess, like prospecting them like or finding them until, I guess, the moment that you decide, okay, this person has the same vision as me. I think they could be a good fit. Like how long does that getting to know them process take? Is it a few months? Yeah, it takes a few months. Like, uh, you know, three to six months. But after that, we need to negotiate with them in terms of pricing, the so variations for, right? That part, it takes a bit time. Because yeah, I need I'm to sure that's the longest. Like, yeah. We need to invite, like, uh, you know, CFO as well. And CFO is very strict about 
you know, valuation. So, uh, yeah, you know, so it, it took a bit, bit time. Yeah. And after acquiring so many companies, isn't it quite hard to make sure the company sort of synergizes with you and, and merges into the company effectively? Would you have any um, things that you'd like to share about how you can make um, an acquisition successful? Not in terms of like closing the deal, but after the deal is done, how do you bring them into the company successfully? So actually, we came up with the PMI plan before we close the deal. I think that, that is a very important point, though. Because, you know, we don't like to make any sort of surprise after the, you know, closing, right? So we share all the information about the company, our company. They also need to share all their things about the company. And we come up with joint plan, joint business plan, how we can maximize the synergy. And who is in charge of some certain initiative. Uh, from both companies, right? We also, we already, you know, we always make the proper, you know, joint business plan and also like a proper team structure as well uh, before closing the deal. So after that, we try to avoid any sort of a surprise. And uh, we just need to get the alignment with them about the sort of PMI plan. That is how probably we successfully grow the business after the closing. I think you mentioned that you bring in a lot of good managers, good entrepreneurs into your team. You've acquired uh, lots of companies. And I think you guys are active in like 15 plus markets and you have 1,300 plus people. How do you stay relevant as a CEO at that level? I'm sure you're not doing the same things as CEO who has like only one market um, is doing. So how do you stay relevant when you have so many excellent leaders on under you, what makes a good CEO in a company like yours? I I think I got you know I, I'm super open to share what I'm good at or what I'm not good at because I need to get a lot of support from other management as well, right? To manage you know a lot of entities, a lot of businesses. So I believe that uh, other management understand what Sogo need you know I need to do uh, for the company. For example, one of the important role and responsibility for me is to, you know, always come up with new business idea or new business, you know, model. And whenever we expand the business into new market, I'm the one who did that initiative as well. Uh, our management understand, you know, that, that business or that things, uh, Sogo CEO need to do. But other than that, you know, they are very happy to, uh, you know, manage or help. I, I think there's sort of a good collaboration between CEO and the other management. I, I think that is very important for us to manage, you know, a lot of businesses, a lot of market. And I was wondering as well, like when you cover so many markets and have like, I don't know, 1,300 people under you. How do you make sure the entire company is well aligned to your vision or um, what you're doing? Because I'm sure like at your stage, you've done a lot of different fundraisers. You've done a public listing. I'm sure there are employees who maybe only see, you know, what's happening through the news. How do you keep the morale of the team up um, down to the sure. lowest level? Uh, we have a very good internal communication system. 
uh, we had, uh, let's say, country manager meeting every month, every week. All the country had need to join that call to share uh, what's the obstacle, what's the opportunity for our business. Obviously, we talk about numbers as well. So uh, through that internal meeting, we try to you know get everybody be on the same page, and also we have monthly general meeting. And that meeting, so all the employee, over 1,400 people joined that call as well. And we share the, uh, you know, what's going on in the business in any mind. Where are we going to focus on from now? What's a new product development? What's the news, important news our employee need to aware? So those sort of international uh, internal communication is very important to get everybody be on the same page. And over the um, like seven plus years you've been running AnyMind, I'm sure there have been different stages of the company. How do you know when it's a new stage of the company and you have to refocus on something else? Oh, so uh, yeah, it is depending on the situation, right? So. For example, sometimes, you know, we really need to focus on specific business. For example, right now, so e-commerce D2C enablement business for us is still new uh, compared to Martech business as well as creator management or publisher management business. So, you know, we always come up with uh, kind of mid-term and long-term business plan, a business vision. And then uh, we we try to you know make sure we want to go what we want to achieve in next five years or even ten years. After that goal, we came up with more detailed action plan where we want to focus on. So that is how you know probably I uh, prioritize the focus or etc. Have there ever been times where your maybe five-year plan or, I don't know, three-year plan have had to be adjusted, maybe because of certain external things like, I don't know, COVID? And how do you handle situations like that? Oh, yeah. So we are very flexible. Obviously, like uh, this market is changing very fast and there's so many external factors for right? Recently, like uh, it market is not that stable. So with that changes of their external environment, we always discuss internally how we can make some sort of change or how we can improve. I think that is very important. For example, recently, from investor point of view, they really care about profitability. Two years ago, nobody cared about profitability from investor point of view, especially for the startup or growing company like us. As long as we grow the business, let's say at least 50% year on year, uh, our investor quite happy. Right, uh, because they believe that eventually we can make a profit. But nowadays, all the investors pay attention to profitabilities. So we also need to adapt ourselves to the external environment, external expectation uh, from other stakeholders. So we discuss internally how we can improve uh, profitability and productivity while we keep the certain size of the growth ratio. Now, that sort of discussion always happens whenever 
external environment change. What are some things that you do today as the founder or CEO in your job that might surprise other people? Are there certain tasks that people might be surprised that you're doing? Oh, so, you know, first of all, I really need to make sure all the, you know, uh, entity, all the business unit, you know, kind of doing great without any sort of issues or whenever they have problem or improvement point, I'm super happy to jump in to give them some sort of advice because my job is to let people feel very comfortable, very, you know, uh, to let people be more confident about the growing the business. And also, like, uh, like I said, so, uh, you know, as any mind, uh, we, I strongly believe that it's very important for us to come up with new business or new market expansion as well. That is how we keep growing the business for the past seven years. So, yeah, that part, I, you know, I'm actually working on that sort of a new business expansion or market expansion, et cetera. So I think I came across this video you did in 2018 where you did a skit with your company and I think you pretended to be somebody who was applying to the company to show the three any mind values. Why do you do things like that? I think it's, I didn't expect a CEO of a large company to be doing funny skits. <laughs> oh, the, <laughs> so, so, say, say again, please. Oh, oh, oh okay. Hands, okay. I think like the video is from 2018 and then you pretended to be uh, somebody applying to the company and then they asked you if you can be adaptable. Oh, you, oh that yeah. one. Yeah, why yeah, why yeah, do you yeah, do yeah. stuff like that? It's quite funny. I didn't expect a CEO to be doing that. <laughs> that one. Okay. At first, um, like before I, I started researching, I thought you would be very serious. So when I saw the video, I said, oh, he's actually very funny, <laughs> very relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's fun. So, uh, I'm, I'm very casual style of the CEO. I want to communicate with any, anyone else. And also, like, uh, you know, uh, because I'm the CEO, right? A lot of people are afraid of talking to me. So I really don't like this sort of stuff. So, uh, you know, having this kind of a internal communication is letting people to be more open to communicate with management. So that is why we came up with this sort of a video. Uh, video. video. Yes. Yeah. So you did that on purpose to make it more accessible for people to speak with you. They would feel more open. Yes. Ac- yeah, that's true. To, not only to me, like uh, to management. I see. How else do you do that uh, apart from this video? Because I think I only saw one. So how else do you try to make it uh, how else do you try to show team members that they can be open to speaking with management? I think, uh, you know, uh, yeah, we have TGIF uh, every month. So, what is uh, TGIF? TGIF is like a sort of internal party uh, oh, okay. every month. So, uh, all the management, most of the management join the, you know, that sort of party as well. So, you know, with alcohol. So, it's kind of a, you know, people with, with alcohol or with food or with coffee, whatever. So people can be more, you know, open, right? Uh, rather than having like a sort of serious meeting. So we, we want to have 
that kind of opportunity. You know, management as well as the, you know, junior employee as well, uh, to engage each other. And we want to listen to the kind of opinion from the junior members as well, who face, um, to the, our client or our creators or our publishers. Because that information is very useful for us to, you know, come up with right decision as well. Okay. And then, um, uh, for that sort of TGIF and like open, um, atmosphere, have you been trying to do that since the beginning of any mind or did you also do yeah, this even do. before, like in your last company before any mind? Did you have these like parties? Oh, stuff? yeah. Yeah. That's right. So actually, uh, you know, in the previous company also, I have uh, conducted similar things because I realized that that is very important. Uh, for me to engage with a lot of young young people, because especially in Southeast Asia, there are a lot of young people, right? So our average age is also still very young in the company. So in order to engage with younger generation, I think that this sort of uh, initiative are very helpful. That's very interesting. So um, another question I have for you is: you know, you've been running the company for. Seven plus years, your last company had been running it for around seven plus years as well. So you've been uh, building businesses regionally for for over 14 years. So what has been the most difficult part um, of that process for you personally? Because how do you manage like uh, such a busy work life, expanding across multiple markets, having so many people under you? I mean, that must be a lot of pressure and a lot of um, busy work, right? So how, what do you do outside of those hours to stay sane? Because I, I can't imagine you just working forever and ever like this. <laughs> Is it the yeah, sports? But, uh, yeah. I, I, honestly speaking, like, uh, you know, I really have the business though. So I don't feel any kind of a, of course, sometimes I'm a bit tired because I keep traveling to a lot of countries. But, but from the business, I don't have any sort of stress. So I really enjoy what I'm doing right now so yeah but but other than that you know sometimes i want i, I go to sauna to relaxing and uh, also i call i play golf with kind of business partners or friend uh on weekend so that is how i can have some time to relax on a very difficult day at work what do you look forward to doing after like, oh. is it a certain meal? Is it, um, do you have like a go-to place? I guess you shouldn't release the, the specific location for privacy reasons, but. <laughs> uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I feel that if I have some problem in the business, you know, best way to, you know, be, the uh, best way to, you know, relax is to fix the problem. So, <laughs> of course, you know, I go drinking for for I can go to I go to the bar to drink with some sort of friend sometimes. But honestly speaking, whenever I have a problem in the business, I just need to focus on fixing those sort of issues. Right? That is how I can be happy actually eventually. <laughs> I guess like if you can't fix it then or you're not fixing it, you'll then you'll just keep thinking about it so you won't be yeah. happy at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I think uh, one of the things that was also mentioned about you um, by your CFO and CCO in some interviews that you have, you're the only person that they have met that has had the same kind of energy like you. I think the CFO said, uh, I've never met anyone like him with his kind of energy. So over like the course of your 15 plus career, doing a lot of difficult things, how do you maintain that kind of energy um, no. up until now? Especially for running one business for seven plus years, how do you keep the same quote unquote like energizer, bunny kind of energy? Because whenever I make something big or whenever we grow the business, I'm super, super excited. And uh, I'm super happy about that. And uh, that feeling I never forget. When you do something bigger, you can feel more exciting. So that journey never ends, especially in this industry. So that is why, you know, of course, when I started the company, I was super excited. Now we become the listed company. But meaning that we have more room to grow or we can leverage some sort of financial things to make even bigger. So uh, I naturally, you know, when we do business, when we grow the business, when we contribute to the client or users, I super, super excited. So, you know, that feeling kind of makes me to, makes me be very much better about doing more. How do you maintain that um, positive mindset, even though, you know, business has come with a lot of struggles and challenges? Do you consciously focus on the positive side? Uh, what do you do? Uh, I always feel that whenever you, we, uh, we have a sort of problem or room to improve, it, it's meaning that so we have an opportunity to grow ourselves. So that, that kind of a mindset uh, I have since I was a child because I, you know, like I said, so my parents always mentioned to me, encouraged me, oh, hey, Kosuke, you can do anything you have a lot of potential if you want to do something you just need to do that without any concern so i still you know had a, this sort of mindset though so uh, i you know kind of uh, feel that even when i face some sort of challenges i always think that oh we can overcome or we can do that and talking about challenges, what is the biggest personal sacrifice that you have made in building your career or building your company? Oh, actually, I, I don't. Uh, basically, I feel that there's no sacrifice, a personal sacrifice, because, uh, you know, like I said, so my passion is always sort of business or entrepreneurship. And I'm super happy to, you know, keep doing that. You know, probably only one sacrifice that you know spend so much time on the business and uh, I don't back to my hometown uh, usually uh, sometimes I back into the car you know my hometown to meet up with my parents so you know uh, because I really appreciate it I did respect my parents as well so I just want to spend some time with them and luckily my parents also very proactive so uh, they keep traveling to a lot of countries. I, I guess they uh, went to more than 40 countries so far. So, uh, yeah, and they just uh, visit Bangkok 
uh, three weeks ago to meet up with me. So yeah, that, that's, uh, that's good. So I, I want to spend some time with my family. Yeah. And then talking about difficulties as well. So I mentioned with you, mentioned to you earlier that we have this new segment on the newsletter, um, and the podcast where people can submit challenges that they're facing. Um, in their business or in their personal life. And then they'd want to hear um, from people like you if you've had a similar experience um, and how you tackled it. So I'll share one submission from a founder here. And he or she said that the challenge is hiring the right team. How do you build a team that can work collaboratively, efficiently, and with a shared vision? They're finding that finding that they're finding that it's a challenge to find the right people because it's just really competitive, especially in a market like Singapore. Additionally, they feel like there's a lot of competition. There's stiff competition from established players in the market. And their challenge is, you know, how do we differentiate our offerings as well? Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, it's kind of a difficult part, right? So, you know, for us also, honestly speaking, you know, sometimes we change the management structure. Even we thought that we hire, right? Country manager, sometimes he or she didn't work out, and uh, the time. So you know these things never end. So we have to keep improving our management team, like uh, our you know local team. So that's very important. And eventually, if if, if you never you know forget, uh, ne- never give up, eventually you can find out the right right people or right team. Just, uh, you know, because it's a, it's a very natural matter to the, especially startup, even like a, to the big company, right? Including Google, Facebook, et cetera. That is why they change the kind of a team structure, uh, frequently. I think that sort of judgment, uh, from management team is uh, very important and we need to act quickly as well. So. Uh, of course, we spend so much on to hire right people, or even we thought that we hire right people. Sometimes that not truth. I mean, uh, but we need to admit we made a mistake, or we have to get alignment with uh, the sort of members. Well, but for, for me, for us, we believe that you know, kind of. Fairness is very important, especially for the evaluation for the management team. So, of course, I'm very close with all the management team, but also like, uh, you know, we evaluate the performance with a very fair way. So, uh, sometimes we need to give them very honest feedback, strict feedback as well. Then we have to change the structure sometimes. Well, you know, that's very important for the business. So, uh, I guess this sort of uh, kind of a challenges or issues always happen, even from now, even to the big enterprise, uh, you know, uh, companies such as Google, Facebook, etc. And so basically what you mean is that maybe they're facing this challenge, but you've also faced the same challenge yourself and throughout the many stages of the company. It's a constant challenge to hire the right team and identify who the right players are. Because even after you've identified what you thought was the right person, maybe at some point, um, they're not the right person anymore and you have to find somebody else. Yeah. So it is a continuous process. Okay. And how about for the, the second concern? Like, 
for this founder, they're finding that there's stiff competition from established players in the market. So how do you learn to differentiate your offerings? I think you're a good person to speak about this because you guys have so many offerings. <laughs> I think it's very important for us to share the long-term vision of the company. Because even you are still small, uh, you know, uh, if we can, uh, you know, get those people be on the same page to have a clear visibility about our future plan, uh, probably that makes them be excited to join the company, right? So sharing the future vision or, you know, kind of business plan, it's kind of very important. So I always, I'm super open to share anything else about our future plan. And if that vision is very attractive to the candidate. Yeah, they are happy to join us. So, yeah, I mean, because, you know, as a startup, it's very hard for us to offer very good incentive structure compared to the big company, right? Uh, of course, like, uh, you know, giving sort of a stock option probably is a, uh, some of the way uh, to make the uh, long-term incentive structure. But, uh, you know, with only that, it's quite challenging. So meaning that we have to share our long-term vision uh, very clearly, very openly to those sort of uh, candidate or people. Well, thank you for sharing that, Kosuke. My last question for you to close this podcast is this question I ask every single guest that we have, and that is... um. Outside of work, what's one thing that you want to achieve in your personal life at any given point in time? You can even achieve it I don't know, when you're 80 or 70, or you can achieve it next week. But what comes to mind when I say, what's one thing you want to achieve in your personal life? My personal life, right? <clears throat> yeah, so no oh. work, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm very... Uh, I, I believe the potential of Southeast Asia, and there are a lot of young people, right? Uh, probably one day I want to come up with some sort of education, uh, kind of a organization where, you know, I want to contribute something education for the younger generation. So something like, uh, you know, entrepreneurship or those sort of things outside of my work. Because I can probably contribute to the pro younger generation uh, who are very passionate about the future. So that is what I want to do in the future. But not really sure how I'm going to do that. But, and when? You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. When I, I, <laughs> I probably got when I was, you know, 60 years old, uh, when I become 60 years old. But I want to contribute. Some like a sort of education, especially for the, you know, entrepreneurs or younger generation. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. Thanks again, Koske. I really appreciate you taking the time to share, you know, your experience, your insights, and also a little bit about your childhood and your personal life. I think it was a really great opportunity for me to learn from you, but I think it was also really nice to see the mindset that you have, that you've taken since you were a kid until now. And I think I'll also try to take that with me. So thanks again and hope you have a nice rest of your day. Thank you very much. Have a nice day.